whisper, for it was whispered always, flew from menial to menial, from lord to lady, down all the long corridors, from story to story, from saloon to saloon. The prince hath gone mad! The prince hath gone mad! Soon every saloon, every marble hall, had its groups of glittering lords and ladies, and other groups of dazzling lesser folk, talking earnestly together in whispers, and every face had in it dismay. Presently a splendid official came marching by these groups, making solemn proclamation, "'In the name of the King, let none list to this false and foolish matter upon pain of death, nor discuss the same, nor carry it abroad. In the name of the King!' The whispering ceased, as suddenly as if the whisperers had been stricken dumb. Soon there was a general buzz along the corridors, of, "'The Prince! See, the Prince comes!' Poor Tom came slowly, walking past the low-bowing groups, trying to bow in return, and meekly gazing upon his strange surroundings with bewildered and pathetic eyes. Great nobles walked upon each side of him, making him lean upon them, and so steady his steps. Behind him followed the court physicians and some servants. Presently Tom found himself in a noble apartment of the palace, and heard the door close behind him. Around him stood those who had come with him. Before him, at a little distance, reclined a very large and very fat man, with a wide, pulpy face, and a stern expression. His large head was very gray, and his whiskers, which he wore only around his face, like a frame, were gray also. His clothing was of rich stuff, but old, and slightly frayed in places. One of his swollen legs had a pillow under it, and was wrapped in bandages. There was silence now, and there was no head there, but was bent in reverence, except this man's. This stern-countenanced invalid was the dread Henry the Eighth. He said, and his face grew gentle as he began to speak, "'How now, my lord Edward, my prince?' Hast been minded to cousin me, the good king thy father, who loveth thee, and kindly useth thee, with a sorry jest?" Poor Tom was listening as well as his dazed faculties would let him to the beginning of this speech, but when the words, Me, the good king, fell upon his ear, his face blanched, and he dropped as instantly upon his knees, as if a shot had brought him there. Lifting up his hands, he exclaimed, "'Thou, the king? Then am I undone indeed!' This speech seemed to stun the king. His eyes wandered from face to face aimlessly, then rested bewildered upon the boy before him. Then he said in a tone of deep disappointment, "'Alack! I had believed the rumour disproportioned to the truth, but I fear me tis not so!' He breathed a heavy sigh, and said in a gentle voice, "'Come to thy father, child. Thou art not well.' Tom was assisted to his feet, and approached the majesty of England, humble and trembling. The king took the frightened face between his hands, and gazed earnestly and lovingly into it a while, as if seeking some grateful sign of returning reason there, then pressed the curly head against his breast, and patted it tenderly. Presently, he said, "'Dost not know thy father, child? Break not mine old heart. Say thou knowest me. Thou dost know me, dost thou not?' Yea, thou art my dread lord the king, whom God preserve. True, true, that is well. Be comforted. Tremble not so. There is none here would hurt thee. There is none here but loves thee. Thou art better now. Thy ill-dream passeth. Is not so? And thou knowest thyself now also. Is not so? Thou wilt not miscall thyself again, as they say thou didst a little while agone. 
I pray thee of thy grace, believe me, I did but speak the truth, most dread lord, for I am the meanest among thy subjects, being a pauper born, and tis by a sore mischance and accident I am here, albeit I was therein nothing blameful. I am but young to die, and thou canst save me with one little word. Oh, speak it, sir. Die? Talk not so, sweet prince. Peace, peace to thy troubled heart. Thou shalt not die. Tom dropped upon his knees with a glad cry. God requite thy mercy, O my king, and save thee long to bless thy land. Then, springing up, he turned a joyful face toward the two lords-in-waiting, and exclaimed, Thou heardst it! I am not to die! The king hath said it! There was no movement, save that all bowed with grave respect, but no one spoke. He hesitated, a little confused, then turned timidly toward the king, saying, I may go now? Go? Surely, if thou desireth. But why not tarry yet a little? Whither wouldst go? Tom dropped his eyes, and answered humbly, Peradventure I mistook, but I did think me free, and so was I moved to seek again in the kennel where I was born, and bred to misery, yet which harboureth my mother and my sisters, and so is home to me, whereas these pomps and splendours whereunto I am not used. Oh, please you, sir, to let me go." The king was silent and thoughtful a while, and his face betrayed a growing distress and uneasiness. Presently he said, with something of hope in his voice, "'Perchance he is but mad upon this one strain, and hath his wits unmarred as toucheth other matters. God send it may be so. We will make trial.' Then he asked Tom a question in Latin, and Tom answered him lamely in the same tongue. The king was delighted, and showed it. The lords and doctors manifested their gratification also. The king said, "'Twas not according to his schooling and ability, but showeth that his mind is but diseased, not stricken fatally. How say you, sir?' The physician addressed bowed low, and replied, "'It jumpeth with mine own conviction, sire, that thou hast divined aright.' The king looked pleased with this encouragement, coming as it did from so excellent authority, and continued with good heart, "'Now, mark ye all, we will try him further.' He put a question to Tom in French. Tom stood silent a moment, embarrassed by having so many eyes centred upon him, then said diffidently, "'I have no knowledge of this tongue, so please your majesty.' The king fell back upon his couch. The attendants flew to his assistance, but he put them aside, and said, "'Trouble me not. It is nothing but a scurvy faintness. Raise me. There, tis sufficient. Come hither, child. There, rest thy poor troubled head upon thy father's heart, and be at peace.' Thou'lt soon be well. Tis but a passing fantasy. Fear thou not. Thou'lt soon be well." Then he turned toward the company. His gentle manner changed, and baleful lightnings began to play from his eyes. He said, "'List ye all! This my son is mad, but it is not permanent. Overstudy hath done this, and somewhat too much of confinement. Away with his books and teachers, see ye to it. Pleasure him with sports beguile him in wholesome ways, so that his health come again." He raised himself higher still, and went on with energy. "'He is mad, but he is my son and England's heir, and mad or sane still shall he reign. And hear ye further, and proclaim it. Whoso speaketh of his distemper, worketh against the peace and order of these realms, and shall to the gallows. Give me to drink, I burn. 
this sorrow sappeth my strength. There, take away the cup. Support me. There, that is well. Mad is he? Were he a thousand times mad, yet is he Prince of Wales, and I, the King, will confirm it. This very morrow shall he be installed in his princely dignity, in due and ancient form. Take instant order for it, my Lord Hartford. One of the nobles knelt at the royal couch, and said, The King's Majesty knoweth that the hereditary great marshal of England lieth attained in the tower. It were not meet that one attained. Peace! Insult not mine ears with his hated name. Is this man to live for ever? Am I to be balked of my will? Is the prince to tarry uninstalled, because, forsooth, the realm lacketh an earl marshal free of treasonable taint, to invest him with his honours? No, by the splendour of God! Warn my Parliament to bring me Norfolk's doom before the sun rise again, else shall they answer for it grievously. Footnote. The Duke of Norfolk's condemnation commanded. The King was now approaching fast towards his end, and fearing lest Norfolk should escape him, he sent a message to the Commons, by which he desired them to hasten the bill, on pretence that Norfolk enjoyed the dignity of Earl Marshal, and it was necessary to appoint another, who might officiate at the ensuing ceremony of installing his son, Prince of Wales. Hume's History of England, Volume 3, page 307. End of footnote. Lord Hertford said, The King's will is law, and rising, returned to his former place. Gradually the wrath faded out of the old King's face, and he said, Kiss me, my Prince. There, what fearest thou? Am I not thy loving father? Thou art good to me, that am unworthy, O mighty and gracious Lord, that in truth I know, but, but it grieveth me to think of him that is to die, and— Ah, uh, tis like thee, tis like thee, I know thy heart is still the same, even though thy mind hath suffered hurt, for thou wert ever of a gentle spirit. But this duke standeth between thee and thine honours. I will have another in his stead, that shall bring no taint to his great office. Comfort thee, my prince, trouble not thy poor head with this matter. But is it not I that speed him hence, my liege? How long might he not live but for me? Take no thought of him, my prince, he is not worthy. Kiss me once again, and go to thy trifles and amusements, for my malady distresseth me. I am a-weary, and would rest." Go with thine uncle Hertford and thy people, and come again when my body is refreshed. Tom, heavy-hearted, was conducted from the presence, for this last sentence was a death-blow to the hope he had cherished, that now he would be set free. Once more he heard the buzz of low voices exclaiming, The prince! The prince comes! His spirits sank lower and lower as he moved between the glittering files of bowing courtiers for he recognized that he was indeed a captive now, and might remain forever shut up in this gilded cage, a forlorn and friendless prince, except God in his mercy take pity on him and set him free. And turn where he would he seemed to see, floating in the air, the severed head and the remembered face of the great Duke of Norfolk, the eyes fixed on him reproachfully. His old dreams had been so pleasant! But this reality was so dreary. End of chapter 5